0: Good morning, church. There we go. There we go. There we go. If you have a copy of God's Word, do you? Do you? You have uh, some Bibles in front of you if you want to grab one of those. Uh, If you have a digital, go ahead and swipe and find Revelation chapter 3, Revelation 3. We are in our very final installment in the series 7. Everybody say, "Aw." I know. I'm, I'm a little heartbroken, too. Getting a little weepy throughout the week. But we're going to be looking at church number seven. So we've been looking at the seven churches of Revelation through chapters two and three. And we've been able to to hear a different story of where each of those churches were at. And so this is the Apostle John, uh, the beloved disciple that was visited on the island of Patmos as he was exiled, rejected. They tried to boil him alive in oil. That didn't work. They kicked him out, shipped him off, and in his final days, God shows up, and in this mighty vision, he provides the details that we read in the book of Revelation. And we have an opportunity today to maybe look at the most popular, the most well-known of the seven churches. We're titling this message today, Dear Lukewarm Church, Dear Lukewarm Church the church in Laodicea, and the church in Laodicea was set up on a, on a hill, and a little bit of the topology was that because they couldn't access uh, cold or hot water, there's imagery that we're going to look at today, uh, because in the north, in Hierapolis, they would pipe in some hot spring water, miles of a pipeline ahead of its time to be able to get some hot water to them and from the south uh, the city of Colossae is where off of the mountaintops that there was some cool mountain fresh water they were piping that up north to Laodicea and in that context everybody that was spoken to from this letter would have had certain things in mind about water all right so keep that keep that in mind as we think about that. We could summarize it this way. I am the church. If you're a Christian, I'm not assuming you're a Christian, but if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are part of the church. You are the body of Christ. And if you are the church, I'm the church. And if I pursue comfort and convenience over Christ, I will be puked out. There is vomiting happening out of the mouth of Jesus that we're gonna be looking at. And who is it that is described in this way? Well, hopefully we wanna find that out Revelation 3, if you are there, say ready. And so as we get started here, if you're taking notes, jot this down. We must loathe. Someone say loathe. We must loathe becoming lukewarm. Hate it, despise it, reject it anywhere that there is a sign of lukewarmness. Why do we have this warning? Verse 14, Revelation 3, and the angel, and to the angel of God, The church in Laodicea, so this is the seventh city, seventh church in that city that's being written to. I love this. The words of the amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. Who's he speaking of here? The words of the true amen, the capital A amen of Jesus himself. He is the amen. He is the fulfillment of all things. Every promise. He is the yes, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus was there at the beginning. He is the highest and greatest. He is the may it be so, and it will be done. Amen. Verse 15, what does this king know? He says, I know your works. As he's looking at the church in Laodicea, he says, I know your works. What does he see? What does the king of the church see in his church? You are neither hot, excuse me, nor you are neither cold nor hot, would that you were either, I I would rather have you be either cold or hot. And, And what we're about to find out is that these images are to provoke us to have some level of clarity of where we are at as a church, where we are at personally. And we can take the image too far, but the metaphor is there to be able to help us. And he says, Uh, where are you at? Where are you at right now, church? And as we said, there are definitely images that the early church would have understood as they think about hot and cold. But how would I know if I'm lukewarm? If the warning is, do not be lukewarm, I'd rather you be hot or cold. How do I know that I'm neither of those and I'm somewhere in between? Well, let's just kick it off with this. Here here are seven signs, okay? Let's just do a a quick evaluation. How would I know that I'm neither hot nor cold? And we're talking about spiritually, heart posture, attitude. Well, here's seven signs of lukewarm living. Do you guys have that in your notes? You got that? Wow, somebody must have loved you a lot. They just put it in there for you. Wrote the whole thing out for you. Hopefully no typos. Here we go. Seven signs of lukewarm living. First of all, I'm spiritually content. Is that you? Well, you should have known me years ago. I mean, I was a total mess, but I mean, like now I'm, I'm doing pretty good. So you're are you okay with where you're at right now? Because if you're okay with just okay, Jesus is not okay with you. Are you content with where you're at right now, spiritually? I'm fine, I'm fine. Well, Jesus isn't fine. How about this number two? I love stuff more than Jesus. And I wonder if some of us have been in a season where God is saying, I want you to get rid of that. I want you to turn away from that. You don't need that. I, I'm calling you to be content without that. And your response was, I, I can't live without that. I, I have to have that. And I wonder if for many of us that we, we love stuff more than we love Jesus, and we call that idolatry. Anything that rises up above and, and it leads to a lukewarm lifestyle. How about number three? Money moves my motives. Uh, what, what's in it for me? And if I can gain something, I'm willing to sacrifice quite a bit if I can make some quick cash. Or just by obsessing all week long, if I just had, if I just could, and are you satisfied with where God has you financially but you're not satisfied with where you are spiritually? How about number four, prayer is utterly absent. Is it typical for you to go throughout a week and not once pause to talk to God? For some of us, you're like, a week. It's been years. Like I don't talk to God at all. I just show up to church once in a while, and uh, that's the only time that I hear somebody else talk to God. But like I don't have a relationship with God, and I don't talk with Him, even though maybe I would call myself a Christian. If you don't have an ongoing prayer, lifestyle, you're lukewarm. How about number five? I don't share the gospel. I mean, I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but who am I to judge to tell anybody else that like they need to go to heaven and that they're going to hell right now? That's none of my business. It's none of my concern. And maybe I would say it's none of your concern if you're lukewarm. It's none of your concern. It's none of your concern if you only care about yourself and not other people's destinies. And their eternities, if you're only concerned about where you're at with Jesus, you might be lukewarm. How about number six? I'm not bothered by sin. And maybe that means for you, I'm not bothered by other people's sin or my sin. Or I'm not bothered by other people's sin because I'm currently living in that sinful pattern. Therefore, I don't judge people. Otherwise, I would have to judge myself. And I'm not willing to do that and never before have we lived in a day in America where the cardinal sin, the primary sin is to judge anybody else's sin. As long as you don't you don't assess anybody else doing wrong, then you're doing right. And if you ever call out that somebody else is doing something that's sinful, you're the problem, not them. Well, that's that's the attitude of the lukewarm. And lastly, and kind of funny, is I'm not just not bothered by sin. I'm kind of bothered by this list. Are you going to move on? I really don't like talking about it. It kind of bugs me. I don't even know why we're slowing down to assess at all because it's making me feel very uncomfortable. When is lunch? And maybe just asking those questions bothers you. Maybe, maybe. Well, I, I, I've been in the books this week and two of the most powerful quotes that I have read in a really long time. It wasn't just like a, a wow week of the one wow quote. You get a twofer, all right? You're welcome. Two for one, two for one. Here we go. Vance Havner, pastor from generations ago and J.C. Ryle from hundreds of years ago, uh, they provide us with some insight about lukewarm living, neither hot nor cold, and here's what Vance, Pastor Vance, says The cause of Christ has been hurt by more Sunday morning bench warmers who pretend to love Christ, who call him Lord, but don't obey his commands, than by all sinners combined. J.C. Ryle says this Nothing is so effective in keeping true Christianity alive. As the yeast, what does yeast do? Just a little bit of yeast? Oof. Spreads, causes everything to rise up. Well, the yeast of zealous Christians scattered throughout the church, impacting, affecting, and influencing the entire church. Like salt, they prevent the whole body from falling into a state of decay. No one else, like these passionate people, can revive churches that are about to die, it is impossible to overestimate the debt that all Christians owe to zeal. And there he's speaking of the natural lukewarmness that all churches gravitate towards. And all it takes is is one yeasty, zealous, passionate Christian to be able to impact and influence the whole bunch. And could I say this, just as a side note, for some of us, All we need for our lives to be radically changed, for us to be awakened, we don't need a whole bunch of passionate Christians around us. All we need is one zealous biblical friend. The power of one godly friend to rub off and influence and and provoke and prod and push us out of our state of apathy, waking us up. All it takes is One, and may I ask, are are you that one for somebody else? Are Are you that one? Don't underestimate your ability to influence and impact, even if it's one life at a time, for like yeast, for it to spread, for it's contagious. Just like criticism and negativity is contagious, so is the zeal that can overcome any kind of lukewarmness and may you be that hope. May you be that light here in our church and in the community. Verse 16, everybody got it? Verse 16. So because you are you're not hot, you're not cold, but because you're lukewarm, somebody say lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold. Here it is. I will spit you out of my mouth. I will vomit you out. I will puke you out of my mouth, Jesus says. Why why would he do that? Why, why would he be so vivid and so violent in nature as to describing the lukewarmness of the church and individuals? Well, here's what's at stake there's deception going on in the church of Laodicea. Do you see it in verse 17? Here we go. For you say, and, and this is, this is the, the Jesus that knows his church and knows the works, he's hearing what they're saying. What are they saying? What's their attitude? I'm rich! I'm rich! I have prospered. I need nothing. Somebody say that's a problem. That even when God answers your prayer and God provides, that we are even so prone to take the gift from the giver, rejecting the giver and saying, thank you very much. I'm good now. Lukewarmness. I'm good. I'm good. I, I have what I want. I don't need you, God. And what are they not realizing? What does it say? Not realizing this is Jesus' assessment of the church. So what's the church's assessment of the church? We're doing good, taking care of, open doors, answered prayer. We're fine. We're fine. That's their assessment of themselves. Do you think that Jesus' assessment is a little bit more accurate? Somebody say just a little. Just a little bit more accurate. What is Jesus' assessment? You don't even realize that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Somebody let me say, ouch. Do you believe deep down that you have one of the worst vantage points of assessing yourself because you don't see you as you really are? contrary to popular belief that all the answers are within, you just got to dig down deep, got to dig down deep and draw it out of you. You just got to manifest it. Just believe it, see it, and do it. All of the power, it's in you. It's in you. Ah! The proper assessment is there's a lot of stuff in me that needs to get out of me. There's a lot of things that are in me that I don't even see are a problem. And I need Jesus vantage point. Do you believe that? I need God's perfect 2020 vision to assess my life because I don't see me accurately. I need help. Do you believe your pastor needs help? Oh boy. Piece of work. Don't even get me started about that guy. I don't see me as I really am. I have blind spots. I need people to be able to speak into my life. So God started with giving me five of them, which is amazing that every single day that there can be children to be able to, you don't see that, do you, Dad? Hey, Dad, you did this. You didn't think about it, did you? Hey, you're not doing. Hey, you are doing. Hey, that's wrong. Hey, and all day long, when you start getting some feedback, and even from the mouths of babes, right? Well, what happens when you get feedback from God? You have a choice to make. Are you going to receive it or are you going to reject it? When God gives you an accurate assessment of where you're at, are you going to embrace it or are you going to make excuses for it? Today's the day that we have to make a decision. So what are the categories that he provides for us here? He's providing imagery that we think that we're enough, that we have enough, and he's saying... Hot or cold, just absolute clarity, but lukewarm means that you have very little perspective about what is right or wrong here, hot or cold. So we're going to get to the end of this passage, and we're going to find out that there is banquet imagery, that there is imagery here about Jesus inviting everybody to the table. Come to the table and feast. And there's something powerful that we're going to learn in a minute that starts here. When you are hospitable and you invite people over, you are offering them, most of the time, a beverage. Correct? Would you like something to drink? Would you like something to drink? Well, the church that should be eager to invite Jesus in, Jesus, it's actually your table. Jesus, we, we should have you as a welcome guest in your own house, and we're not even willing to do that. There is no offering of something that is helpful. So what, what would be something helpful? Helpful. Well, after a long day, Pinky's up. After a long hot day, if you walk into somebody's house or you're invited to the party, hopefully you say, "Do you have do you have anything cold?" As a matter of fact, I do. That's super helpful. Just Mhm. Mm. That hits the spot. Anybody need a cube? I mean, they're they're free. I don't know if anybody needs one. But on a hot day, what do you need? What do you need? You need something offered to you that that's cold. It, it brings a solution to the problem. It shows hospitality. You're welcome. You're welcome. Come in, and I'm here to take care of you. We're in this together. There's unity. Well, if cold is helpful, I had lost my voice two weeks ago, and guess what? Still not back. Still not back. Thank you. So on occasion, I need someone to offer me, like, would you? Would you be helped by a piping hot drink, maybe some tea, maybe coffee? Uh -uh. It's still hot. That's good. That's good. Sore throat, no problem. Getting a little sick, I got some tea for you. Didn't get a lot of sleep, here's a triple shot. Helpful, hot and cold. Do you know what is super unhelpful? I am so parched I'm so hot and I'm coming to somebody's table and they're like, oh, no problem, no problem. I I got a water for you. Well, the past weeks, uh, I think we hit 117 over the summer and it's like, don't worry, don't worry. You're welcomed at my table. Would you like a, a little bit of provision of water? Yes, how long have I been waiting all day long, haven't had a drink and you offer me what? something that is so delicious such as <sniffs> oh! Luke lukewarm lukewarm that's what that's what you offered me I, I need hot or I need cold but lukewarm is disgusting when I am sweating to death I need I need something cold when I uh, have a sore throat or I need to wake up I need something hot what did the church clarify for themselves what are they bringing to the table what is Jesus saying you're not hot you're not cold you're not helpful there is no desire to be hospitable and welcome god's not welcome in his own house we're gathered in our name for our purposes and our convenience and our comfort and i wonder if if the spirit of god leaves the church would the church know If we tell Jesus what his word should say instead of us submitting to his word and Jesus leaves, what are we left with? Did you know that over 150 churches are closing every week in our country? They said upwards by the end of this year there will be up to 6,000 churches in our nation alone, doors closing. Do you know what happened long before they put the for sale sign out in the yard. God left his house because he wasn't welcomed there. Because there's a group of people that didn't want to hear what he had to say and they didn't want to do what he was asking them to do. And they went from fired up, hot, to luke, warm, and worthless. And this church in Laodicea, guess what? It was still gathering, but God wasn't there. They were were still singing songs, but he wasn't listening. And here's the warning to us. Let us not read the Bible like religious people who want to judge others with it do, but rather, could we read it as worshipers who allow the Scriptures to judge us first? I I got a few here. Lukewarm personal assessment. Here's the very specific questions. Maybe you take this home, okay? It's free. It's free. Number one, I would just ask, and may we all ask this Am I cold, lukewarm, or hot? I'll give you a second. As of today, where are you at personally? Would you, if Jesus assessed you, hot, cold, or lukewarm? I really do love Jesus. I'm really motivated to get to know him better. I really want to walk with him closely. By God's grace, I want to become more like him. I'm tired of sin. I want to live rightly. I want to live a life that honors him. Is that you? Are you hot? Or was there a time in your life where you were fired up and you cooled way down? Maybe we're more comfortable with this question. Number two, where are we at? Someone say we. It's not just a me thing, it's also a we thing. We're in this together. This, this letter was written to the church as a whole. And so the assessment was made, all y'all are not hot or cold. Are, are we cold? Are we hot? Are we look warm? On a scale of one to 10, where, where would you mark us as a church? If you're a guest with us, you got an easy job. You're not allowed to to rate it yet, okay? All right? You got to stick around for a while. For the rest of us, can we evaluate whether it's been months or years? Where are we at today? Hot cold, lukewarm? How would Jesus assess us? Cuz for some of us, we're like I don't think we're doing half bad. But what about according to Jesus' standards, not not your standards. Where would we where would we be? How about number three, what helps me, what helps me turn up the heat, turn up the heat. Say it with me, turn up the heat. What what helps me to dial up the heat for God? What helps me to go from passive to active? What, What helps me in my daily rhythms, my holy habits, my weekly patterns? What helps on a regular basis for me to increase the heat so that I'm going forward and not stalling out? What is it for you? Uh, I've been speaking to a number of people uh, that I've discipled, that I've worked with, different leaders, um, people that I'm counseling. And I'll often ask, what is helpful for you to gain traction and get down the road with Jesus? Because it's different for all of us. But guess what? There are some common denominators. Do you believe that? There are some common themes. If I am not going to grow lukewarm, but I am going to be fired up, I need to be in the Word regularly. If I'm not reading God's Word, I am reading everybody else's mail and social media and I'm reading headlines and I'm going to be discipled by that or I'm going to allow God to disciple me and I'm going to get fired up. I don't know about you, but as we've been going through this revival season, there's something that's happening inside of me to go from a decent prayer life to cranking up the dial and over the past couple months, I have found myself every time I wake up in the middle of the night, every time I, I go to bed, God is just impressing on me of all these things to pray for. And there is a renewed passion for prayer. And I'm like, God, keep that going. Keep it going. I want to be fired up. I don't want to fall asleep in prayer. Assume that that you got all this and, and then I'll, I'll let you know if I got a problem later on. There's something about prayer and the word. There's something about fellowship. And I know for, for many of us, We may be doing ministry, but we're choosing not to be in fellowship. You are going to grow lukewarm and bitter and cynical if you are not with a group where you can be honest and open and you're receiving feedback, rebuke and correction, and you are receiving a concentration of encouragement and love and care. If you're not in a circle, you're going to be lukewarm because you can sit in a row and stare at the back of somebody's head week after week and be absolutely spit out of Jesus' mouth lukewarm. But you can't survive in a group without making a a choice of whether I'm hot or I'm cold if your group loves you enough and you're experiencing real fellowship. So what is it for you cranking up the dial during this season? How about this? Number four, what comforts prevent me from being hot for God? What comforts? What idols do I cling to that are holding me back? What needs to go? And last week we talked about prayer and fasting. There's something powerful about saying for a season, for for once a day or a week or a month. I know a couple years ago I was talking with some of our guys and one of the things that was brought up is the more that I check out social media on a regular basis, the more bitter and angry and upset and frustrated I get. And I said, what do the next 40 days look like for you? And he said, I've never fasted from social media in my entire life. And I don't think I'm comfortable with that. And I just said, well, I don't think Jesus is comfortable with you not reading him, but reading the world. And he took 40 days and fasted from social media, and he was a very different person at the end of the 40 days. Because when you are saying no to what is preventing you from moving forward, you can say yes to what Jesus is wanting to drive you ahead with. I don't know what comforts are preventing you. I don't know what you go to. I don't know where you run to when you're upset, frustrated, and hurt. But what if it's God first and foremost? How about this? Number five, what area of my life lacks urgency? Anybody struggle with urgency? Anybody struggle with, I, I'm not motivated and every day it's like, uh, uh, same thing over and over again. There are areas of our life that God is saying, uh, I'm not okay with your lukewarm, apathetic indifference. We got to get this fired up. We got to change. We got to move forward. We got to do it together quickly. Somebody say quickly. We got to do this quickly, not someday, okay? Uh, do you believe that we're a culture of someday? We are the culture of mañana, mañana, mañana. And so, at some point, Jesus is saying, no más. There's, there's not going to be any more tomorrows. Today's the day. With urgency, there's too much at stake. We got to move forward. Would those closest to you say that you live with spiritual urgency? Those that know you really well. So just, just think about somebody that, that's around you enough, and just ask the question. As they watch my life, okay? Maybe, maybe it's a family member, maybe at work. Maybe it's a close friend that you've done life with. What if this week you would just ask them, do you see in my life a sense of urgency for things that are spiritual? Do you see me moving towards Jesus with urgency? Do you see me committed more today than I was last week, last month, or last year? Do you see me making progress going from baby steps Do you believe that some of us are in baby step mode? Some of us spiritually, it's like, I'm just learning to walk, trying to figure this thing out. Is that okay? Is that okay for the first year? Is that okay five or 10 years later? Somebody say no. At some point, urgency goes from baby steps to walking to jogging and pretty, I'm moving down the road And how many of us have been in the same place five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, 30, 40 years later, and we are stalled out, lukewarm. And Jesus has this warning to wake us up. How about this, number two, if you're taking notes, we must buy what is best. Did somebody say shopping? All right, did did I get some of you ladies back? All right, we're We're reengaged, we're focused, we're focused, we're focused, all right? Buying, shopping, here we go, here we go. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me. Who's talking here? Somebody say Jesus. Buy from me. Buy vertically what you're prone to buy horizontally. Buy from me. Gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Anybody want to get rich? Like I did not know that the message today was how to get filthy, stinking rich, but I'm, I'm taking notes now. Jesus says there is a way. There is only one correct way and there's only one type of wealth that is worth pursuing and sacrificing for jesus is talking about the real thing this is it this is the real rich that we need to be going after somebody say this is the real thing it's real this is where we are to be pursuing to be rich is to buy from god to access it via jesus and he says you become rich white garments that you may clothe yourself white garments in the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. It's going to be covered up and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Have you been buying what's best? Well, this is what God says is best. He says, the wealth on earth is not where it's at. There is something better. There is something lasting. There is something eternal that you need to be investing your time and energy into. Then he clarifies what? Image of white garments. He's talking about If you are going to be with your filthy, rich papa in heaven, it starts with getting right with him. Are you robed in his white, bleach-white garments of righteousness? Not your works, not your efforts to try to... I'm trying to clean up my life, okay? I'm working really hard to get this thing done. I'm in a better place than I was before, and I'm working on it, okay? I'm working on it. If anybody asks you, how are you doing in your Christian walk, and just every time someone asks, your response is just, I'm working on it, okay? Just get off my back. I'm working on it. You at least have to step back and ask, whose robes am I wearing? Am I wearing my robes of righteousness? I'm trying harder, okay? I'm trying to cover up the shame from the past, okay? I know I blew it in the past, so I'm trying to overcome that on my own. Thank you very much. Give me some credit. And Jesus would say You think that you can do it yourself. And you're poor and wretched. If you would just come and shop at Jesus Incorporated, you know what you're getting? He's giving you His robes of righteousness. Did you earn them? No. Did you do anything that that could rip them off? No. He's saying this is eternal. This is forever. You are forgiven. That makes you rich. And so, have you been forgiven of all of your past? Everything from your past? Have you been forgiven of all of your current sin issues, struggles, rebellion, breaking God's law? Do you have confidence that you're forgiven of everything that you will ever do? Because if if I were you, I would not leave this building unless you have full confidence that you know that you're wearing robes of righteousness, that you're wearing Jesus' holy robes because you can't undo your past. You can't make up for it. You can't compensate for it. There's nothing you can do to try to outrun it. You can't improve yourself. You're not a self-improvement project. You are an object of God's grace and mercy and him offering complete forgiveness and salvation. Have you received it? I didn't ask, are you working on it? Stop working on it. Have you settled it? Are you resting in it? Have you done a one-stop shop instead of shopping around everywhere else? I just watched a, an interview with a a famous couple from Australia that used to be, all over the news about all their businesses and and their their career in front of the camera, and they chose to leave their Australian Hollywood. I don't. What do you call that? It's not Bollywood. That's so India. They they left and guess what? Guess what they did? They they spent years of their life, in a suite pimped out RV and they went from country to country and they explored every religion possible. And they thought it was the coolest thing ever. We're, we're not gonna like be restricted to just one right way. We think all of them have great things to offer. So they spent six months as a as a Buddhist and then another three months as a Hindu and then they dabbled in Taoism and, and, they, and they wanted to taste all the buffet of what religion had to offer. And God landed them in LA across the street from a thriving bible church which a church i've been to in the past mariners church and every week truth is being called out and all the errors and lies all the false ways we try to hide and cover up our our shame is being exposed right across the street and every day this guy would be like why do i feel like we haven't found what we're looking for and why is it that i'm driving by this church every day going there's a voice in my head saying You haven't tried that one. You haven't tried that one. You haven't tried that one. Month after month, he's like, all right, I'll try it. Just shut up. And they pulled in and they heard the gospel for the first time that you don't have to try and you don't have to go through the buffet line of religion and all the options. There's one truth. There is one way. His name is Jesus. And on that very first morning as a couple, they both went forward and said, we've been searching for so long. And it's been right here in front of our faces. All we had to do was get up and walk across the street, literally. How many of us can hear the word and be searching and searching? I'm trying this and I'm trying to figure that out. Stop shopping around. There are more than 40,000 women's clothing outlets in North America alone. That's just for the ladies. We are not missing out on opportunities and options to shop. But that's why we have these letters. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And if you hear today, I found the way. I can stop now. All I need is one outfit, and it's Jesus' outfit. And he's giving it to me and offering complete holiness and righteousness, complete forgiveness that I can't work for and I can't figure out on my own. He says, stop shopping, stop shopping. Stop trying to cover the shame and allow Jesus to eliminate the shame. He says, salve to the anointed eyes so that you could see you're blind, you're blind. And God says, I want you to see. Do you believe that God's in the business of making blind people see? He did it for me 21 years ago. Has that happened to you? I just couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. And then in that moment when I have holy salve, when I have heavenly salve, not just some over-the-counter prescription salve trying to open my eyes, God does it. God gives us this shopping image for a reason. Do you invest in that which matters most? I jotted this down. God's asking, want to be rich? Want to get clean? Want to get free from the past? Want access to the best clothing line ever? Want to shake off the shame? Past mistakes? Do you want to see for the first time? Has there been confusion and fogginess all of these years? Do you recognize that your way is not Working well, ladies see it, it was known to be filthy rich, to be self sufficient, unlike for sure, unlike America today. Right? The more that the Bible speaks, the more we recognize ah! it's like he's talking to us today, 1900 years later. This is absolutely relevant to the exact situation that we find ourselves in. It is so true and truer and truer every generation. The question is, where are you buying? Where are you shopping? Buy what is best. Not physical healing, not physical sight. Spiritual sight is better. It's better. Somebody say it's better. It's better. It's better. better. Buy what is best, not just physical clothes, not just more and more stuff. When you shop with Jesus, spiritual wardrobe, his wardrobe is better. Somebody say it's better. It's better. It's better. It's better. It's better. better. And here we go. Number three, if you're going to jot this down, we must learn what, Is love because we don't know we don't know love in our day we need a reminder verse 19 gives us a little snapshot this is what the Lord teaches us those whom I love what do you think is gonna follow Jesus what do you do with those that you love how do you treat those that you love he provides us with two words in the negative and then two words in the positive. If Jesus really loves us, somebody say, and he does, I reprove and discipline. Reprove. To, to correct in such a way that if you're going the wrong, you are going to know very quickly if you've been reproved that you are confronted with the wrong and that the right is pointed out. Discipline. We're talking about parental imagery of spanking and constant correction over and over and over again. Those whom I love, says Jesus, I reprove, I discipline. Do you know what some of the greatest joys in your life should be? And I know this is going to sound odd, but as you look back, maybe over the past weeks, over the past months, past years, if you've been walking with Jesus and things keep happening where it gets harder and harder where you feel like, "What? why is this happening to me? Why is it so hard? I thought following Jesus was going to be like easier. I thought it was going to be lighter. Why does it feel like it's heavier? Why does it feel like it's more challenging? What if every time that you choose your way and you get a little spank on your keister, what if you would just say, thank you? Thank you, God. Thank you for not letting me go my own way. Thank you for correcting me. For some of us, we come to church and we hear messages like this and go, I just feel judged. I feel attacked. I feel accused. Actually, there's a loving God that brings a thing called conviction. And conviction is where he's poking at you saying, hey, he's talking about you. He's trying to correct you. Hey, that word's for you. And we have a tendency to go, oh, I just feel uncomfortable. What if next time that God is poking around in your business and he's calling you out and making you feel bad about stuff that you should feel bad about that you would just say, thank you, God. Thank you for correcting me. Thank you for reproving me. Thank you for disciplining me. And what does that lead to? Does it just lead to more, I feel bad, I feel bad, I'm just getting spanked? No. No it leads to two things. Repentance. Somebody say, repent. What a gift. What a gift. God's saying, not only am I going to bring discipline, but I am going to help you turn around and go back the right way. Repentance is a gift. And he says, those that I love, do you know what love looks like? Love looks like God saying, go the other way. Go back. Not this way. There's a hole in this road. Don't go down it. You know what happened last time. Repent repent. And then one of my favorite Z words, zeal, zeal. How do I get red hot? How do I get fired up for Jesus? How does that happen? When I turn away from the old and the death and the old patterns and I turn to the newness, do you know what happens? The more that you turn to the new, the more passionate you get about living it as a lifestyle. The more that you say yes to Jesus, the more that you're sensitive to when he keeps talking and the more that your heart gets tender again. For some of us, we may have been living in such a way where it's just I'm getting harder and harder and I'm cooled off and I'm getting lukewarm and God wants to fire us up again. How does that happen? Repent! I need to get that out of my life. I need to stop that altogether. When I was a brand new Christian, you know what was awesome? I was a brand new Christian And pretty soon, uh, as a former drug addict, I'm getting guys saying, dude, you don't even have to pay for it. I'm going to give it to you for free. And something inside of me was like, run, run away. And I'm like, and when I did, God was like, well done, well done. And all of a sudden, a passion for Jesus was rising as a passion for drug addictions was lowering. Do you believe there's a correlation? I'm saying no to the old. Well, pretty soon all of my drinking buddies are like, it's just just one more night, okay? I know that you got this whole Jesus thing going on, but like just one big party, just one last one. And when I would show up, it would be like everything inside of me, you don't belong here, you don't belong here, you need to go, repent, turn away, get out. And I'm like, I've never experienced that before, but I am getting out of here. And the more that I backed away, the more that I removed myself, the more that, I was bold and saying, man, I don't desire that anymore. There's, there's heat rising inside of me for a passion for someone else. His name is Jesus. And that doesn't satisfy anymore. I don't know what it is for you, but maybe today you say, why is it that I'm so indifferent to God, that I'm just bored in church, that I fall asleep, and that I go home and I don't remember anything. And what if today's the day that you would hear, it's because you're lukewarm and maybe you've been there for a while. Maybe you are totally indifferent to the things of God. And he's saying, the end is not going to be pleasant. Today can be the day that you would learn what love is. And love is embracing correction, is listening to the voice of God. Verse 20, behold, somebody say, check it out. There we go. Behold. I love this image. This is one of our favorite images you want to put up on the screen. As we read this verse, possibly there's an image of a painting that you might have seen before. I stand at the door and knock, and if anybody hears my voice, if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. There's the image. Come around the table. You'll eat with him and he with me. And so for for many of us, we've seen a painting maybe hanging up. Uh, I believe I grew up with one of 85 versions of some long-haired, uh, usually blonde, white Jesus. Some may say that that ain't the real thing. All right, all right. So that that that's not the real portrayal of Jesus, but there are portrayals of Jesus that we're constantly looking at going, well, Jesus is knocking at the door, and I could preach a message right now and say, well, if Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, then receive him. And that's how we usually handle this text. And it's absolutely wrong. The whole context is there's no hospitality. There's no welcoming for Jesus. So where is Jesus at? Jesus is not inside the church of Laodicea. Jesus is outside. And do you know why Jesus is outside? Because He's not welcome in His church. Because He wasn't allowed to be the king in His church. And what is Jesus doing? Jesus isn't just tapping. He's trying to get our attention because he wants to be the leader of his church because that's why he died. He wants to be the king on the throne of his church because that's why he rose again. And unfortunately, every church is bent towards driving Jesus out to the point that he's outside of his church and he is requesting, which he doesn't have to, to come back in and take his rightful place as king of his church. So behold, check this out. Jesus is at the door and he's knocking. And if his church is hearing his voice, if the church opens the door, he says, it's party time. It's time for a banquet. It's time for a feast. When I'm welcomed back into my church, we can eat together. We can fellowship together. We can intimately know one another But if I'm outside the church, there is no hope. The church in Laodicea, it's not there any longer. Because Jesus was knocking and His church wasn't answering. They were very comfortable because it was convenient to not have Jesus as King, but have Him as a Savior that forgives so they can continue on living a worldly, sensual, selfish life And Jesus would say, that's not the church. So if he's knocking, we as a church have a decision to make. Are we going to be a church that confesses our lukewarmness? That says, Jesus, we want you in the highest place. We want you to call us out. We want you to love us by disciplining us. We want us to be be a people that where Jesus is welcome, he's listened to with open ears. He is heard and he is obeyed with open hearts. Verse 21, the one who conquers, the victorious one, the overcomer, that one, even in a church of lukewarmness, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Somebody say that's awesome. (laughs) You're going to join me. You're going to rule with me. That's the one. Not the one that's lukewarm, but the one that has overcome the apathy, that has overcome the indifference, that is not lukewarm, but is red hot, also conquered sat down with my father on his throne god didn't strengthen you god didn't free you so that you could just go back to the same old garbage and live however you want to he raised us up from that he resurrected us so that we would live for him that we would have power and strength to move forward and not go back that we would know in the end we're going to be on the throne with jesus he's the boss but we're with him we are heirs with him in his kingdom But what a shame to be a church that doesn't give a rip. Who cares? What does that do for me? I'm not willing to change. This all seems religious to me and I'm not interested in any of that. That means I would have to give up things. That means I I would have to get off the throne until the final throne. That means I would have to live under his rule and I'm not willing to do that. And I wonder if that's you today. Today could be the day you would say, I'm done fighting, I'm done resisting, I'm done living for me, I'm done showing up to church lukewarm, passive, indifferent, thinking about my shopping list, sending texts, checking out social media, thinking about what time it is and I need to get to lunch. I'm done! And then repentance shows up, rises up within. God, do you mean I could live a new life? You mean it could be different? We could be different? We could be pursuing this together in unity? As we close, bow your head and let's listen to this together. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For Jesus stands at the door and knocks. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in.